full chapter today, and uh, if you've been following uh, with us along, we've been uh, just uh, spending the last few weeks uh, going through the last week of Jesus' life in pre- preparation for Easter, that is come and gone. And so I thought uh, to kind of end uh, the series a little bit and jump back into Ephesians, uh, I think we want to do a two-parter on the Great Commission. I've never actually, I've been here four years, I've never actually been able to get around the Great Commission. So I'm excited today because uh, the truth of the matter is, is I believe that God wants us to be a Great Commission people. So if you want to follow along, uh, we're going to go, we're going to read the entire chapter today. And uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to do the sermon backwards a little bit. I'm going to start with the applications first, okay? So my goal this morning, uh, if you're looking for an application, if you're looking like, how do I live my life now that Dan has spent 45 minutes telling me about what Scripture says, how do, what, what are some practical things that I can do? And so I'm going to give you a, a bunch of suggestions and my hope, my, I'm not the Holy Spirit, so if the Holy Spirit convicts you in a different way, that's good, but here are some ways that you can actually take and use this message today. Number one, Um, I hope every single one of us has a renewed fire and passion to share our faith. That's number one, that we would become great commissioned people, no matter where you are in your relationship with Jesus, that you would, there would be this fire, this, this like, I can't help it but share the gospel with my friends, wherever you are, whether it's with thousands or just with three, that you would be a person that would share my faith. My other, my other hope in this is that we would actually build some momentum for Pine Ridge. And what I mean by that is, is, uh, I, you know, during the years of COVID, I was not able to go to Pine Ridge, but I heard a lot about it. I heard a lot about how the man was passionate about it, how it was great for the church, how it was like this missions in our own country, and I loved it, and I, I never got to go until last year, and last year I went, and I had an amazing, amazing, amazing time. And uh, what I'd love to be able to do is, is like, by when Bruce comes back on June 3rd, so he's coming in two weeks from now, or next week, but I, 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 if you feel God's call, you can, you can serve at Pine Ridge during the whole summer, but from July 10th to the 14th uh, is the week that they really need us. And Bruce is going to come here, and he, his specific purpose in coming here is to rally the troops, right? That we would have a, an organized team ready to go. I believe Lane's got a sign-up sheet going, right, Lane? No, it's coming. I expect lots of good clip art. Uh, But I I pray that we would actually have a Pine Ridge team to go, or you serve in Pine Ridge in some way. Maybe you do the grocery grab, but that's sort of an outcome from today's message. Or um, I would pray that maybe in our church, our size, I know we're a small church, but I believe even in our size that we're big enough where I believe that maybe there's at least one person in here that God may have called you to the mission field, right? And God hasn't given me any word or prophetic dream or anything like that. I'm just thinking about statistically, there's got to be at least one of us who God is calling to the mission field in some way. Maybe this is God's way of stoking that fire. I don't know. Or maybe, uh, and lastly, I would, I would ask that you would uh, pray and fast as a church of how manner can reach people who don't know Jesus Christ yet, who have never heard. Okay? 
So those are the outcomes. I just want you to think about that as, as we go through the message today. And if you're a note taker, if you're one of those people that loves taking notes and you're like, oh, God, take notes to follow along, here, here's the main point of the message today, okay? And you can write it down and just kind of circle it and highlight it, and it's this, is that a resurrection demands that something be said. Let me say that again, because I think maybe it's, it's, too, it's too familiar for us to understand the weight of it. A resurrection demands that you and I say something, not that we should something, say something, but it can't help but be said. Okay? It's, it's like breathing, right? You can't help but not breathe. Have you ever tried holding your breath? Try it right now. See how long you can hold breath in the service. I guarantee you, your body is going to force you to exhale and inhale no matter how hard you try. It's hardwired into you. And when I say when someone rises from the dead, when you're going about your day and you're hanging out and you're just like getting ready to garden or you're getting ready to go to school or you're getting ready to take that exam and you kind of drive by that graveyard on the other side of the street, and you see a corpse rise from the dead, and you go into town, and everyone's asking how your day was, and you don't mention that. That's kind of weird, right? Oh, how's your day going? Oh, you know, got the kids ready, you know, home, home, ha. Saw this guy raised from the dead. You didn't start with that? <laughs> a resurrection demands that we say something. It's natural, it's automatic. It's something that happens without even us thinking about it. Right now, your heart is beating and you're consciously not telling it to, it's just doing it. <clears throat> Saying something is a result, is, a, is like a natural result of seeing someone rise from the dead. Let me explain what I mean. If you want to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 28, we'll read the story. And I'm going to highlight... Uh, in yellow, the, the parts of scripture that we're going to talk about today. Now, after the Sabbath, so Jesus has just been crucified. And we talked about the story. There's a little bit of overlap from last week. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away back the stone, and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes as white as snow. This is the angel, this is not Jesus. And listen to this, and for fear of him, the guards trembled, and they became like dead men. Could you understand that? That would be pretty freaky to see an angel. <clears throat> but the angel said to the women, what does it say, church? Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, and he is set, as he has said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him again. See, I have told you. 
So the women, they departed quickly from the tomb with what? Have you ever thought about that? Like they're holding like this fear, this scaredness at the same time that they're holding this joy in their heart. And they ran to tell the other disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to him, Do not be afraid. What does it say? Go and tell. My brothers to go to Galilee and they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said to them, Tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. That's kind of a bad guard. And if, he, and if this comes to the governor's ears, he, it will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And, they, and then when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Could you imagine that? You know, sometimes I think in my life that if I just saw Jesus physically, that would erase all doubt in my mind. Apparently, it wasn't sufficient for some either. And Jesus came and said to them, and this is uh, the Great Commission right here, All authority and in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, and what is Jesus' last words? I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, as we read the word together, out loud, I pray that you would release a a blessing over the word, even over the reading of your word. Your word has power all in itself. And I'm praying that you would wash us by the word today. Please, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would not, there would not be a person in here who would listen to the words that we just read and not feel the conviction that you have for us in our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. I want to start out today, the first thing I want to talk about today is maybe draw your attention to the fear and the trauma that the women faced. What What was it like for the women during that weekend? Well, I want you to stop and I want you to think through it for a minute. They had just seen someone they witnessed or they loved, that they loved, not only die but go and be tortured in one of the most barbaric ways in human history. They saw his body lowered, and and they saw his body placed in the tomb, and they saw a legion force of Roman soldiers roll a stole in front of it and position themselves between them and the tomb. Now, there's not a lot said about Saturday night, but I would imagine that they didn't get very much sleep on Saturday. Eh? 
that kind of trauma, that kind of fright, that kind of fear, I don't think would make you personally sleep soundly that night. They get up the next day and they go to the tomb and they were expecting, and, and they went there and they found something they were not expecting. They found an empty tomb and an angel and they stood shook up. Verse 5 says this. Oh, sorry, let me, let me go back. Let me ask the question to you straight out. Who was the very first person in Matthew that spoke about the resurrection of Jesus? Any takers? Do you think it was the apostles? Was it Mary? Was it the, it's not the women. It's the angel. <laughs> Listen to this. The first to speak about the angel, it says this uh, in, in Scripture. It says, oh, I've got to go to the page here. Do not be afraid for I know that you see Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. Now, that seems like a funny thing to say, doesn't it? Don't be afraid. They were alarmed and frightened. The very first thing that was ever said about the resurrection is, don't freak out, go and tell. Okay. Why tell? Because the resurrection demands that we say something. As the women, women are on the way to tell the disciples, what sorts of thoughts and fears do you think they feel, felt along the way? Does anyone want to take a guess how they were feeling? I mean, you're walking. I mean, just, just I want you to picture yourself in their shoes. They're, they've just gone to the tomb. They've seen that it's empty. They see a guy glowing in white. And they're, they're walking back or running back to tell the disciples, what kinds of thoughts and feelings are you thinking that they're going along the way as they're going there? Any takers? How would you feel? That's exactly it. The very first thing that I would be asking myself if this was me is, is did what I see, was that real? Right? Wouldn't, wouldn't, haven't you ever seen that? You go, you've seen something really weird, and the very first thing that you think of is, did I, did I actually see that? The second thing I think that I would be thinking of is, is anyone going to believe me when I tell them? Who's going to heal my story? This is, and so what you want to understand is that there's this mixture, there's, there's this conflict in their heart because it's great news but they're also very afraid. Verse 8 says this, So they departed quickly from the tomb with what? Fear and great joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. Now, here's what I would say. I would, I would say to you that I would suggest to you that what they were thinking and feeling isn't that vastly different from what you and I would feel today if we were put in a similar circumstance of telling other people about the resurrection. Am I not right? There's a fear that grows in our heart about it. Is it real? Did it happen? Are people going to believe me? The resurrection demands that despite our fear, something be said. Well, going forward... There's a second person that talked about the resurrection. 
Does anyone want to take a guess about who the second person ever to say the resurrection was? Oh, I heard it. Don't whisper it. Yeah, it's Jesus. Jesus himself spoke about the resurrection. Listen to what it says here in verse 28 to 10. It says, uh, it says this, Then Jesus said to them, Do not what? Be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they will see me. Are you, are you starting to see a pattern here? Don't be afraid. Go and tell. Okay. Why? Because the resurrection demands that something be said. Anyone want to take a guess what the third group was? Yes. Close, but no. <laughs> yeah. What's that? Nope. It's the guards. Going on, it says this. It says, uh, while they were, in verse 11, while they were going, the women going to, the, to see the disciples, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Back at the temple, the guards spoke about the resurrection and their only job, and I want to catch this because this is, this is crucial, them talking about the resurrection in this manner actually puts their jobs at risk, maybe even their life. Their only job was to make sure that the body stayed there, but it couldn't. They couldn't do that. They failed at their job. Why couldn't they? Because it was beyond their ability to stop. And because the, res res because the resurrection happened, it demanded that something be said. So they went and told. They told the truth. They shared what they witnessed and had seen. Now it must have been very embarrassing and frightening for the guards to explain what they saw. They still did it though. Why? Because when someone rises from the dead, you gotta say it. Plain and simple. Okay. What do you think the fourth group was? Ah, let's go on ahead. Any takers? It was the priests themselves. The fourth group was the priests. In verse 12 it says this, And then when they assembled the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers, and they said what? Tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away. This, uh, <clears throat> this actually is, uh, <clears throat> and they actually said something. The finals, and, and I want to catch you that, is, that is very, very important because here's, here's the truth of the matter. The, the, the priests knew that they could not stay silent. Have you ever been in a situation where something bad has happened and your first gut reaction is not to publicly address it. They knew that they couldn't. They knew that when someone rises from the dead, something must be said about it. But in this case, they lied about it. And there's one final group that talked about the, talks about the resurrection. Do you want to guess who it is? It's you and me. We get to the Great Commission. Go therefore and... Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe 
all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Jesus' words before he ascended into heaven were, listen, I need you to go and tell. And I need you to make disciples of all nations. Why? Because the resurrection demands that something gets said in spite of our fear, in spite of what would happen, in spite that we might lose our jobs, in spite that we go, we're like Mary and, we're like, and we go there and we're frightened or, or, we, or we're the guards and we're frightened or we're the priests who are frightened that they would lose their jobs and lose their credibility. Something must be said about the gospel. Okay. I think you need to understand something very crucial about Christianity is that when we talk about Jesus, there's a lot of important stuff that we should talk about Jesus, amen? We should talk about his life. We should talk about his birth. We should talk about the virgin birth. We should talk about his teachings and what he did. We should talk about the cross and how he died on the cross for your sins and for your sins. And we should talk about the brutality of that. But I want to say to you that the most central thing that you and I need to understand is that the resurrection is central to our faith. Without the resurrection, everything else means nothing. How central is the resurrection to the faith? Listen to what 1 Corinthians talks about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, all the way to 17. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is what? In vain. And your faith is in vain. Do you ever think about that? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, your faith is useless. And going on, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ from the dead, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead aren't raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Jesus has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those of us who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Everyone you know, there's no hope. If in Christ we only have hope for this life. In other words, if only we believe something that Jesus died again and rose again in your heart, and it's just something you believe as a metaphor, but it didn't actually happen, you are to be pitied among all the people of the earth. Let me, let me paraphrase for you. If you are... If the dead are not raised, your faith is futile, useless, worthless, and purposeless. If the dead are not raised, according to what we just read, you and I are a liar, probably me more than you, because I come up here every Sunday. Your sins are still not forgiven. You still owe God for every, oh, those the most embarrassing things that you're ashamed of. If the dead are not raised, all the people who live on this planet who believe are all gone. If the dead are not raised, you, out of all the people on the earth, and me, are considered to have the lowest status. We are being pitied among all the people. But what does verse 20 say? 
but in fact, Christ has been raised. Do you understand the centrality of the resurrection? The resurrection demands that something gets said. It's natural. And what is going to be said about it is either true or it's going to be like the priests who paid off the guards and it's going to be a lie. But either way, something has got to be said about it. It's like breathing. It's just natural. It's not that it should happen. It's not that it's forced to happen. It should happen. Okay. Here's the truth that I want you to catch because you can't just stand there and not say anything about Jesus. At the end of the day, it's our belief in our, the resurrection that gives us courage and strength that life is worth living. Because, because we are going to, when we die, we are going to be with Jesus in heaven. And so all the struggle and all the suffering and all the challenge and all the difficulty and all the fight is going to be worth it because of the resurrection. Okay? And I want to say this. Because here's where I'm bringing it home today for you and I. Have you ever heard of that phrase, preach and when necessary use words? Yeah, hands up if you've heard that before. Right? That's not a bad saying necessarily. I, I get the intention behind it. It's saying that we are to love people and we, we should be more concerned with our acts than just saying something and not acting in that. James talks about that in, in, in his epistle, right? My brothers, who can, uh, what faith is it like if you, if you wish your friends uh, go and, help me out here, um, go and be more well fed but do nothing about his needs, right? I get that part, but it's, here's what I'm also going to say about it. It's not necessarily in the Bible because the resurrection demands that you say something. And I'm all about loving your neighbor, and I also think we should build relationships but I felt like maybe what has happened in North America is that we've looked at the resurrection and we don't say anything anymore about it. Do you know that, I think it was Lifeway Publishing, they did a study and they found out that, uh, I'm going to skew the percentages here, about 80% of Christians believe that telling people about their faith is important. But when asked... How many of you have shared your faith, like you've had a conversation about your faith in the last year? It was something like 30% of all Christians. We say it's important, but we say we should say something, but we don't say anything. Let me be very clear to you. If, if you think some of us are really in danger of loving our neighbors into hell because we didn't say anything, if you think for a moment that the engine vibrations of your lawnmower are going to magically pass through your neighbor's drywall and into their ear canal, and they're going to understand that they need Jesus and Jesus died for the sins. You've got another thing coming. It doesn't work like that. You've got to say something. All of us here today are here because someone said something. The only reason why you are sitting here today is because someone had the courage, despite their fear, to say something. Do you get that? Because I don't really think I do. I don't think we do. The only reason you're here today is because someone said something about the resurrection. And somebody said someone to something else, and that carried to the next person and to the next person, and somehow the gospel wound up with you. 
And now somehow you are the carrier of the story. And here's what I'm going to say to you. Uh, here, here's what I want, to, I want to tell you. This is, I would actually go so far to say is this is the definition of missions. Missions, in a Dan Renton paraphrased way, is simply saying something about the resurrection. I want to stop and talk about this for a minute because I think this is my personal pet peeve. You can, you can argue with me if you want on this, but I think we should stop calling agencies that only work to alleviate suffering missions. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I 100% say, hey, like, let's dig wells, let's feed the poor, let's, let's, help, let's help people who are stuck in some, some sort of uh, uh, trafficking or whatever it is. Let's work on that justice angle and all that kind of thing. But if that is only what you do, you need to understand something. That is good. I think it's biblical, but it's not exactly the gospel. The gospel is about our missions is about saying something about Jesus. And while we work to relieve the suffering of others, while we help others get medical care and, and do disaster relief and all that kind of thing, at the core, missions is about this. And I'm going to say that it really depends on you. This, this, this is what I'm going to say. And the resurrection really stops with you. You can, you can choose not to say something. Or it's going to continue with you. What's it going to be? So my, my, my point this morning to us as a church is, will you say something about the resurrection? It's my belief that God intends that every people group from every tongue, tribe, and nation at least be presented with it before he draws this part of earth's history to a close. Matthew 24, 14. This is Jesus himself, I believe. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the what? The whole world. As a testimony to all the nations. And then what will happen? The end will come. Will you say something about Jesus? And here we're going to circle back to the very beginning where I just kind of gave you a number of topics, to, ways to live this out. Number one, all of us should regularly share our faith. Okay? When was the last time you shared your faith? Do you have a non-Christian in your life? Every single one of us should at least, at the bare minimum, have a developing relationship with a non-Christian. If you don't, find one. And it's very easy to you. Be like, Pastor Dan, I don't have the time. Listen, I'm just encouraging you, you know what? Redeem the time. Be missional about what your kids' activities. Go, for example, you, there are people here who enroll their kids in sports or 4-H. Not every parent that's in those programs loves Jesus. You can use that opportunity. But friends, every single one of us should regularly share your faith on an ongoing basis. Number two, if this is something that God has put on your heart, I would encourage you to help in Pine Ridge in some way. At least at the very minute, minimum, pray for 
Pray for Pine Ridge and pray for me as I go and speak there. Pray for the kids. Pray for Liz as we go there. Pray that we would have a team. Take one of those coupons and deliver it and say, I'm going to help out in this way. If that's all you can do, great. But listen, if you want to up the ante a little bit, would you join me July 10th to the 14th? Would you sign up with me and we'll go for a week and we'll make it a thing. We'll, we'll, we'll organize it and we'll have like a, a time of prayer and we'll get someone to help us train and we'll go and we'll, we'll bless as a church together. It'll be great. It'll be like a little short-term mission trip. Okay. <clears throat> These next two suggestions, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to have to back up and I actually have to share a, a little bit for this. This information is actually a little bit outdated. This comes from, if you want to know where I got this from, I can tell you after the service. Um, but this is pre-COVID statistics. <clears throat> from, and what I'm going to say is like that way back when, when iPhones were not a thing and the Marvel Universe didn't exist, missions organizations estimated that there are at least 2,000 unreached people groups. And what do we mean by that is there are 2,000 cultures or languages representing 1 billion people on the face of the earth that do not have either a Christian witness or a single crumpled up page of scripture to go from. Okay? Now this is cool. Let's look at this, right? Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> and you might actually be thinking, well, how is that possible in today's age? In our age of technology, what is going on? How come these people haven't been hearing from Jesus when we have such a digital age before us and the gospel has been spread in a way that no one has ever foreseen because of digital technology? Well, I want to suggest to you that the reason is, is because of this. 96% of all missionaries that go out from countries or cultures that have already been reached, go where they've already gone. Okay. Now that's not a bad thing. Okay? We do it here, right? There are, we support missionaries all throughout Canada. We do Winnipeg. We do, we, there's travel trails. There's all this kind of thing that go on. And, and, and that those people need Jesus. What we're talking about here, though, is, is not that everyone in Canada is saved. There definitely needs to be work done here. And we need to support those missions that are doing that. But what we are talking about is, is people who have access to the gospel versus people who have never, ever, 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 ever heard or have a single Christian living amongst their midst. Okay. Startling, like you're going to find out too that the, start, the statistic will <clears throat> change your mind on a lot of things too. 99% of all money given to missions goes to places that have already heard. leaving only 1% of all missions globally going to places where Christians have never been. Isn't that crazy? How does that work? Now, again, I'm not saying that the work shouldn't be done here. I obviously believe that Canada and Alberta and Three Hills need Jesus Christ and the work needs to be done here. But man, like, it seems a little bit of an imbalance, doesn't, don't you think? And so here's where I would actually 
uh, challenge us in the application is today is I'm wondering, and again, this is something between you and the Lord. This is not something that I, I can force you to do or, or, and I'm not shaming you and I'm not shaming like if you feel that God has called you here in Canada and Thrills and Ghost Pine and that's where you are, great. Do it to the glory of God, but I got to believe that at least in a church our size, there's got to be someone, one person that God is raising up right now and saying, I'm going to go where no one else has gone. Maybe that's you. I, I don't know. But if, the, if you're feeling that tug in your heart, I would encourage you to lean in and pray and ask God what he thinks. This last application, uh, I need to do a couple more statistics before, and I would just actually ask that you would join us in praying for direction and missions and manner. Specifically, should we, should we reach those people? Like, and what can we do to reach those people while still supporting our own missions? And what, is God asking this? I don't know, but... Is there some way that we can reach the people groups that have not known Jesus? Here's, here's the cool statistic, and here's why I need to tell you that it's outdated. In 2017, remember I told you that, that, group, that in, in the early 2000s, that group it was 2,000 people groups representing one, 1 billion people? By 2017, that same organization, the Issachar Initiative, I think, I believe, would nail it down to 1,200 groups in 2017. Now, this information that I'm sharing with you, the, it's outdated. It comes from 2017. So it doesn't really take, in fact, one global event we all hate. And what is that? COVID. COVID. Here's what they said in 2017. They said by the year 2020, we want to get 800 group, groups of people in the last 20 years. Or Sorry, so... Let me rephrase that. Between what the, before in 2017, 800 groups of people in the last 20 years have been adopted to say, yes, there are people that are going to go into that field and share the gospel where it's never gone before. Okay? They want that number dropped by 2020. No, this is where the information stops. I don't know if that happened. Why, why do I not know that it happened? Because what was happening in 2020? You were all on your couches watching church, Right? So I don't know if that happened further. But by 2025, they wanted to get that number down to zero, which is very, very interesting because what that means is that we live in an age where we could see every cultural group at least be exposed to the message of Jesus. Isn't that exciting? We, and I'm not saying that, you gotta be careful with this because I know that some people say, you know, as soon as, as soon as those people are reached, then Jesus is gone. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I do know that the gospel is going to go out into the whole world before he does. And I think that we are in reach of that. Isn't that really cool? Oh, I need a bigger amen for that. Amen. amen. So I would, I would pray that, just pray. Like, is there, what, does God want us to do anything about that? I'm not sure. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But I think it would be really cool if Manor Church had a hand in reaching people in some way, even if it's simple as just praying for them, if we had it in reaching the very last people on the face of the earth who have never known Jesus. <clears throat> Friends, the gospel is, is amazing. I, I believe that in our generation, we could see 
we could see net zero churches, meaning that there are zero language groups on the face of the planet that have not been exposed to the, or have been exposed to the gospel, and there are zero people groups that haven't heard. And everyone is forced to answer the question, what am I going to say about Jesus? The gospel demands, or sorry, the resurrection demands that something be said about the resurrection. Are you going to say something about it? Let's pray. Father, as we come together, would you stir in our hearts uh, a passion for the Great Commission? to go out into all the world and not only tell people, but to make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. May us be a people that, that oh, we can't help but say something about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the whole church said, Amen. <laughs>